My name is John Norris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Online. Welcome to this partial gathering. It's good that you're here. It's good to see you here. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to read some text tonight, a significant amount, from Genesis 46 and 47. And we're going to dip into Philippians 3 as well. So open your Bible, Genesis 46. We'll jump around a little bit so you get the idea of what's happening in these chapters. Genesis 46 and Genesis 47, starting in verse 1. Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. All right, skip to chapter 47, starting in verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now skip down to verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, the people of Egypt, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You've saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I've found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. 
carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He said, I will do as you've said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. You are not a silent God. You are not like the idols of the people. You speak. And whatever you say is true, God. You never lie. Well, I pray that we would see that tonight. I pray that we would trust what you have to say. Promise-keeping God. Help us to trust you. There's no unfaithful like you. Would you give us eyes to see? We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Genesis 46 and Genesis 47. What we're going to do is I'm going to give you an outline of what's happening in these two chapters, and then we're going to have two points. It's two points. We're going to see God fulfilling his promises. God fulfilling his promises. And we're going to see the danger of living in a foreign land. So God fulfilling his promises and the danger of living in a foreign land. So here's the outline. Last week, Drew walked us through Genesis 42 all the way through Genesis 45. And in those four chapters, Joseph's family, his brothers, they come to Egypt for food. There's a famine across all the surrounding land of Egypt. His brothers come from Canaan, the promised land, because they need food. And Joseph is second in command over Egypt. And he reveals that he is Joseph, the one that they sold into slavery, and he saves their lives. The end of chapter 45 is Jacob, the father, finding out that Joseph, the son he thought was dead, is alive. And so now he's going to go to Egypt. So that's where chapter 46 starts. Jacob's preparing to go to Egypt. And as he leaves, God appears to him in a vision, and God tells him not to be afraid. God's going to be with him as he goes down to Egypt, and God will bring him back. Then, chapter 46 gives a genealogy, which is just a list of family names. It names all the sons of Jacob, his son's sons, and his daughter. There are going to be 70 people who belong to Jacob's family in Egypt. At the end of chapter 46, Jacob makes it to Egypt, and Joseph and Jacob reunite. They weep. They hug. And then Joseph brings his family before Pharaoh. So the beginning of chapter 47, he brings his brothers to Pharaoh, and then he brings his father, Jacob, They ask if they can dwell in the good land of Goshen because they need good land for their flocks, their herds. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh. We just read that. He blesses him. Then chapters, I mean, verses 13 through 26 of chapter 47, they talk about how Joseph wisely deals with the people of Egypt. He keeps them alive with all the grain that he stored up, And he increases Pharaoh's rule by making him the one who possesses all the land of Egypt and all its people. And chapter 47 closes, what we just read, with Jacob pleading with Joseph, when I die, take me back to Canaan, 
and bury me there. And Joseph swears that he'll do it. So that's the rough outline of these two chapters. But now we're going to look at the way that this text underlines the God who keeps his promises. Because God's fulfilling what he said he was going to do in these chapters. He keeps doing that. And let's look at how he does that. God fulfilling his promises. Okay, chapter 47, in verse 7, Jacob's brought before Pharaoh, and Jacob blesses him. It's an important word in the book of Genesis. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Look at verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So here Jacob is doing what God had promised Abraham that his children would do. God promised Abraham that his family would bless all the families of the earth. Genesis 12, 3. God promised, I'll bless those who bless you, those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You could look around the room right now and see that that's coming true. And it was coming to pass here. And imagine this scene. This is Jacob. He's a wandering shepherd, a very old wandering shepherd. He had to be brought to Egypt on a cart, standing before the ruler of the known world. And he blesses him. He pronounces a blessing from God on this, the greatest of foreign leaders. So what we're seeing is, yes, God is keeping his promises. He said that this would happen, and it's happening. That's what we're supposed to see when we read this. He promised that this little family, this little family of wandering shepherds would be the ones who brought his blessing to the world. God is being faithful. That's what we should see when we get here. Faithfulness. God does what he says. Now, Jacob doesn't just pronounce. He doesn't just say a blessing to Pharaoh. We actually see blessing come to Pharaoh starting in verse 13. And it comes through this family. It comes through the family of Abraham. So in Genesis 47, verses 13 through 26, Jacob, I mean Joseph, across the seven years of famine, buys up the entire land of Egypt except where the priests live. He buys up all the people of Egypt to belong to Pharaoh in exchange for seed. So the people are both saved, and they and Pharaoh, Joseph's master, are blessed by him. Verses 23 through 26, we just read these. Joseph said to the people, Behold, I've bought, I have this day bought you, and your land for Pharaoh. Now here's seed for you. And you shall sow the land, and at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you've saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we'll be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become so the Egyptians, they see this as a good deal. They understand that this Hebrew has saved them. 
He's saved them. And he has increased Pharaoh's rule over Egypt. Joseph has been a blessing to everyone he's worked with. If you remember, Potiphar's house flourished when Joseph was there. The jail even flourished when Joseph was there. And here, an entire nation is being blessed by this Hebrew. Joseph's a blessing, just like God promised that Abraham and his children will be. God's keeping his word. And we see another one of God's promises being fulfilled just one verse later. Verse 27 says this, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So God had not just promised that this small family would bring blessing to all the families of the earth. He also promised that this family would become a great nation themselves. Genesis 12, 2, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You, old Abraham, with a barren wife, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And that's what's happening. God again is being faithful to what he said he would do so long before. He always does what he says. This, this family, verse 27 says, is becoming great. So in his lifetime, Jacob has gone from being a wandering single man to now having 70, almost 70 men in his household, probably over 100 people, women included, who are going to Egypt. And verse 27 is saying it just keeps growing. God is keeping the promise he made in Genesis 12 too. We're supposed to see that. And he's also keeping a promise that he made in chapter 46, 3. We read it at the beginning. God promised Jacob. He said, it's in Egypt. I will make your family great. And we're seeing it's already happening. We're seeing God fulfilling his promises. I hope you know this. I hope you know it. God is always faithful, always. He will never slip up on what he said he's going to do. I mean, we talk about God making and keeping promises a lot, don't we? In this book, in Genesis, it's not just the book of Genesis. It's the whole Bible. Again and again, we see God making promises, and we see God keeping his promises. Here's something helpful to understand, okay? God making and keeping his promises is not just one topic that the Bible talks about. So the Bible addresses a lot of topics, like it addresses marriage, it talks about finances, it talks about work, it talks about church, it talks about spiritual gifts. It's not as though you can say, well, what does the Bible say about marriage, family, finances, promises, spiritual gifts. It's not just a topic alongside other topics. God making and keeping promises is the framework that the whole Bible is built on. This is how the story moves forward in the Bible. Again and again and again and again, the way that God builds his kingdom in this world, 
is by making promises, people trusting those promises, and then God doing what he said he was going to do, no matter what. So if you, if you think of God's kingdom like a construction site, he's always building. God is always building his kingdom. He's always doing work. He's building marriages that glorify him. He's building churches that reflect what he's like. He's building into men and women financial stewardship that makes him look like a treasure. God's always building. If you ask, okay, well, what kind of materials does God use when he builds his kingdom? The answer is people. He's building people up into his kingdom. If you were to ask, what tools does God like to use? Promises. Promises are his favorite tool. Making promises that his people trust, and then God coming through on what he promised is the way he builds his kingdom. That's the way he builds his kingdom. Which means, this is just ultra practical for you and me, is that any given area of life, whether you're talking about your marriage or your finances or your personal holiness, the way that God is going to advance his kingdom in your life is by you trusting and relying on the promises in this book and God coming through on them. That's the way he works throughout the Bible. It's the way he's going to work in your life. Do you get that? By you trusting and relying on his promises. That's how he advances his kingdom. Here's why. You might say, okay, I buy that. But why week after week after week are we just again and again seeing God making promises, God keeping them, God making promises, God keeping them? It's so that as you read your Bible, and as you hear it preached, you would see again and again, against all odds, God always does what he says he's going to do. Not once has his word fallen to the ground. The Bible is giving you evidence after evidence after evidence to store up. So when the time comes in your life where you need to trust him, you've got a big pile of evidence to say, yeah, I don't see how he's going to do what he said he's going to do, but God is faithful. If you need water that's deep down in a well, so you come to a well, there's water in it, it's way down. You don't have a bucket, you don't have a rope. Do you know how you can get the water? Not by going down, but by bringing the water up to you. Throw some stones in. You start throwing some stones in that well, slowly the water level is going to rise. If the water level of your faith is low, you need to be throwing in some stones, some evidence from the Bible that, yes, God does say, he, he says something and he always comes through on it. I just read one. When you read a promise in the Bible, Remember it. Store it up. Believe it. Take notice of it. That's like throwing a stone in the well. The water level, the water line of our faith rises. 
when we see and take notice of all these instances of God keeping his word. It's what he wants for us when we read this. Here's a guarantee. You are going to go through a crisis someday. Some of you are in the middle of a crisis right now, but all of us are going to go through a crisis someday. The kind of crisis where you're, I don't see, God. I don't see how this could be good. I don't see how you could deliver me from this. I don't see how you can keep your word. You need stones in your well. You need the waterline of your faith to be in a place where you're convinced this God keeps his promises. Even if it's at the very last moment, he'll do it because he's a faithful God. It's what he does. It's why this book is here. It's why all these promises are recorded again and again and again so that you would believe it when your crisis comes. There is no one faithful like our God. No one. He never fails. Let's move to our second section, our last section, the danger of living in a foreign land. Look at chapter 46, verses 2 through 4. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So when God appears to Jacob here, God tells him, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Why might Jacob be afraid? It's unlikely that he's afraid of suffering in Egypt. He knows his son is second in command. He's not afraid of suffering in Egypt. He's afraid of the same thing that Abraham was afraid of. Do you remember in Genesis 24, Abraham sends his servant out of the land of Canaan to find a wife for Isaac. And the servant says, well, what if I find a woman and she won't come back with me to the land of Canaan? Should I take Isaac out? And Abraham says, whatever you do, swear to me that you will not take Isaac out of this land. Abraham was not afraid for Isaac's safety. Abraham was afraid that if Isaac found a wife in a different country, he would forget the promises of God, that it was in the land of Canaan that he was going to give the people an inheritance. That's what Abraham was afraid of. I don't want my son to leave, because if he leaves, he might forget, this is our home. The fear that Abraham and Jacob share is that their families would enjoy being away from home too much. That's the fear. 
The danger is that they would love a foreign land so much they would forget what their real inheritance was. God had promised them the land of Canaan. Now that's how this section relates to the one we just talked about. The danger of living in a foreign land away from home is that you would forget God's promises, especially his promises of a better home for you in the future. That was the danger for the children of Israel. It's our danger. We live in a foreign land. And I don't mean the UAE. Most of us are from a different country. But our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says that. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means this is not your home. I mean, even if you are from the UAE, if you trust in Jesus, this is not your home. If you're to go back from the country you come from, Pakistan, Zimbabwe, Uganda, India, Afghanistan, the U.S., the U.K., Philippines, if you're trusting in Jesus, that is not your home. One of the most dangerous things you could do is make it your home. We're in danger. That's, that's what I want to convey. <laughs> we are in danger. It's a real danger. That we would forget God's promise that this world is not our home. That we would start to love our life here more than we love God. 1 John 2, 15-17 says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you hear that? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Do you feel at home? on Netflix? Do you feel at home on Facebook? Do you feel at home pursuing the things this world pursues? Comfort, ease, success, more money. The danger for every one of us, and this is an eternal danger, eternal danger, is that by loving the world, we expose ourselves as those who don't really love God and don't belong to the world to come. That's what 1 John is saying. The world and its desires are passing away. But oh, how easily we can start to feel at home here. Now, I mentioned Philippians 3 earlier. Turn there if you can, Philippians 3. I'm cheating because now we're going to look at another text. I'm supposed to be explaining Genesis 46 and 47. I'm going to explain Genesis, I mean Philippians 3, but it's because Philippians 3 helps us apply Genesis 46 and 47 to ourselves. Look at Philippians 3, 19 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. It says of unbelievers, 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There are two kinds of people here. Only two kinds of people. Those whose end is destruction and those who are citizens of heaven. That's true of every person in this room. Your end is destruction or you are a citizen of heaven. What characterizes the person whose end is destruction? It tells us. Look at verse 19. The text says, first, their God is their belly. It's their belly. So what that means is, is that whatever they're hungry for, that's what belly signifies, whatever they're hungry for, whatever they crave, that's their God. It might be food, it might be sex, it might be money, it might be the praise of men, but that's what drives them. They have no other authority above what they want. The text goes on. It says about this kind of people, they glory in their shame. That means shameful things don't feel shameful to them. Sin, as God defines it, they don't feel like it's that bad. In fact, they love sin. It's their treasure. It's their glory. We should be scared, church. We should be scared when something that God calls sin doesn't seem that bad to us. And this is just a parenthesis, a little side note. That's what media does to us. That's what the movies we watch, the shows we watch, that's what they do to us. They desensitize us to the things that God hates. And it happens because we're caught up in the story, we're caught up in the humor. They teach us that the things that God loves are boring or old-fashioned. And we're just soaking it in. We don't even realize it's happening because we're caught in a story. Close parentheses. Look back at the text. Finally, these people whose end is destruction, they have minds set on earthly things. So that means the things that occupy their thoughts, the things they want to think about in their free time, are the cares, the news, the pleasures, the gossip of this world. They're not setting their thoughts on heavenly things. They're not thinking about the Bible. They're not thinking about truth. They're not thinking of ways they can love people better. This is a helpful test for us. What occupies your thoughts? Where does your mind go when you've got a break in the day? And what do you feed your mind when you've got time to rest? It's a helpful test for us to see where our citizenship lies. Philippians 3. It's helpful for applying Genesis 46 and 47 to us because if you feed yourself with the things that the world is hungry for, you're going to forget heaven. 
If you let the values of this world creep into your values, you're going to forget heaven is your home. If you set your mind on this world, you're going to forget heaven. I mean, most of us are from a different country. And some of you have had people in your home country say something like this before you left to come here. They said, don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you come from. You're a Ghanaian. Remember that. What do people mean when they say stuff like that? They know that in a foreign land, you can forget your home. If you don't speak the language anymore, you don't eat the food anymore, you don't enjoy the particularities of your home culture anymore, you'll make a new home. That's what happens. Now, that's not a bad thing in this world, but it's a picture of a really bad thing. If we make our God our belly, we're just feeding ourselves on this world, and we're not eating heavenly food, we're not feeding ourselves the word of God, we'll forget home. We will. If you only speak the language of this foreign country, this world, you don't speak regularly with other people who are citizens of heaven, you're going to forget this world. You don't set your mind on your home country and make yourself homesick for heaven by fellowshipping with God the Father, you're going to forget your home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus wants you to know he's prepared a place for you. Jesus wants you to know that he poured out his life on the cross to purchase a passport for you and a ticket home. free gift. <laughs> if only you trust him. He wants you to know that the inheritance he promises you in the world to come is better than all the best this world has to offer you put together. He's going to transform your body. Did you see that? so that you share the glory he won in his death and his resurrection. He's going to share it with you if you believe in him. Don't forget it. Don't let yourself forget. That's the point that Jacob is making at the end of chapter 47. At the end of 47, he asked Joseph, take my body and put it in the ground in Canaan. The point that Jacob is making is that he and his family do not belong in Egypt. In verses 29 and 30, he says to Joseph, bury me in the cave where my fathers are buried, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, that's where he wants to be buried. 
He's making his dead, lifeless body a symbol of where his family belongs. Just think of the picture. Think of what this would communicate to his family as they're having to carry his dead body all the way back to the land of Canaan. It's Jacob's final way of reminding his family God is going to keep his promises. He said this land would be ours, and he's going to do it. He's reminding them, Egypt is not your permanent home. Just like this world is not ours. It's my final plea in this sermon is that you would store up reminders of God's faithfulness. In your own life, when you see God being faithful to you, store it up. Throw a stone in the well. When you see it in the word, store it up. Point it out to yourself. That's God being faithful. That's how his kingdom is going to move forward in, in your life, is when you trust his promises. And one of the greatest promises he makes to you is the promise that you are a citizen of the life to come if you trust him. And Jesus is coming back for you. He's going to change you to make you like him. So live your life on that promise, not for this world. Don't forget your home. Let's pray. Father, oh, please, please. Would you help us to see what you've promised and to believe it? You promise that someday, for those who trust in you, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. You have promised that someday, we will cast off the perishable and put on the imperishable. And we say to you, Jesus, thank you. We have not won that for ourselves. You've won it by dying and rising, making us citizens of the world to come so that in ages upon ages we will experience the riches of your kindness towards us. Oh, thank you, God. Help us not to forget our home. Make us homesick people. Would we smell like our home country? Would we speak the language of our home country? And would your kingdom spread in this city, this country, this world? It's in the precious name of Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please.